morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to see everyone online. And um, uh, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Uh, this, I think, is our third or fourth session we've done on succession. Um, we've got some wonderful uh, videos recorded on my YouTube channel, uh, taking sort of different aspects of this um, this issue, this sort of transitional phase that, that nearly everyone in business goes through at some point. Uh, and today's session uh, is, is I'm just delighted to welcome uh, Brian and Tom, who are going to introduce themselves to you in, in just a second. Um, so we're going to be talking about succession from the point of view of the person who's retiring, which I think is um, a, an unusual and refreshing um, um, uh, angle on this. So uh, maybe Brian, I can come to you. So say hi to everybody and tell us who you are. Hi there, um, I'm Bryony Cove. I'm a partner at Farrow & Co uh, Solicitors in Central London. I've worked here for 18 years. I've been qualified since 96. Um, I specialise in private client work, which means traditional trusts, wills, probate, etc. But really um, where my heart lies is in working with families who not only have personal wealth, but also commercial wealth. So family businesses, entrepreneurs, um, landed estates, that sort of thing. Um, I'm also passionately interested in mental health, mental capacity and the well-being of clients, which has enabled me to develop a practice of fabulous clients, but also fabulous lawyers here and a network of great people like Nick um, uh, all over uh, the UK and uh, in the wider world. Um, what really drives me is helping people and assisting people and guiding people. Um, I'd like to think I'm a problem solver, not a problem creator. Uh, so that's me. A nice, that's a nice line. Uh, thank you very much, Brian. Welcome to Strategy Cafe. And Tom. Morning. Um, my name's Tom. Uh, I've been a partner at KPMG for actually 23 years now. Uh, and actually, I'm coming up to my 33rd year at KPMG. So I'm, I'm what they call a lifer, you know. Um, I've got lots of really great clients, to be honest, and a bit like Brian. Um, I love working with family businesses. Um, I took on a global role for the firm about five years ago, so spend all of my time really talking to family businesses and, you know, picking up insights as to what's troubling them. And hopefully, like Brian, I'm a problem solver, not a problem creator. Um, it's a great line, that actually. I, I, I'll probably pinch it when Brian is not on the screen. Um, so I really enjoy that aspect of it. And uh, I was a I was a tax inspector for a while, which which is how I then joined KPMG. And before that, I was a teacher, um, and some of the skills I learned as a teacher uh, have come in really handy uh, when I'm on a stage or, you know, training a class because you know I quite like that interaction with the people who are listening. Hopefully, um, so really enjoy the family business space and really looking forward to this discussion. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And uh, welcome, Tom. So just before we get going, um, I just wanted to get a feel uh, from everyone listening, just where you're at with succession. So, you know, whether it's uh, you going through succession, whether someone in your family is going through this, whether you're an advisor in that space. Um, so um, I'm just going to launch a poll. Uh, everyone, if you could just quickly just, you know, pick the one that's most relevant uh, to you. Um, and then we'll have a, uh, a look. share results so we've got some of you um one person going through succession some of you thinking about succession some of you helping people through succession there we go kind of a mixed group right um coming back to you then um tom uh, when the three of us were just chatting about this um 
you had this beautiful idea that when we talk about succession, most of the energy is put into the next generation who are taken over. And uh, perhaps not enough attention is paid to the person who's retiring uh, and just how tough that can be. Um, and I know it's not tough for everybody, but for most people, it is either somewhat tough or very tough to do this. And for everyone, even if they've got their you know, head straight about it, it's a, it's a, a felt experience for sure. But you know, it was a lovely idea for, from you. And I just wonder maybe if you could kick us off by telling us a bit about that and why you thought this was a good subject. Sure, like happy to do that. Um, so there were two angles to this for me, really. Um, the first is a very personal angle because, as I mentioned, you know, I've been with KPMG 33 years and actually I will be retiring in the next 12, 18 months. And so my own mind has been focusing quite hard on not just succession, but actually what am I going to do uh, when, I, when I leave KPMG? Because KPMG, frankly, has been like a marriage for me. Um, it's had its ups and downs, but it's been brilliant overall. Um, and I've actually started to feel, so not so not just think, but started to feel a little bit anxious, a little bit scared, a little bit, um, also, also a little bit, um, you know, um, confident, I suppose, that I'll be able to do something else and trying to trying to, I suppose, adopt one of my favorite um, theories, which is the growth mindset. So, so, so don't don't focus on what could go wrong or or whatever, but actually focus on how am I going to turn this next chapter of my life into something different, but you know really valuable, uh, not just to me but to everybody around me. Um, so there's that personal angle that that has really got me thinking about it. Um, and then from the point of view of my clients, it, it was really brought home to me. And I'll just tell a quick client story because I, I always like to talk about clients because it brings it to life. Um, I, I was speaking on a stage a few years ago and there was a young chief exec in the audience who asked me to go and see him separately to talk about family governance. So I went to their premises and within five minutes of us sitting down in a room, the door flew open and his father came in. And he thought his father was away, um, but in fact, his father had heard that this this um, big shop from KPMG was was in the building, so he wanted to come and quiz me about family governance. And what was really interesting about that was that the father immediately took over, and the son reverted to um, being a son, frankly. And the father held, held court, and eventually the father left, and and this and they actually had a bit of an argument during the discussion and I felt a bit more like a referee and a therapist than a than a family governance advisor and um, when the father had gone the son said to me oh my goodness I can only apologize and I said well well don't apologize you know what is actually going on and he was really open with me and he said the biggest mistake he had made in transitioning to the chief exec was focusing entirely on what he was going to do and making some big assumptions about his father and that his father would be really happy just to kind of say, right, that's my 35 years up, I'm off to sail my yacht. Um, and for me, um, we actually spent the next half hour just having a really good discussion around how you might kind of turn that situation on its head uh, more. And, and I guess it was a really good lesson for me, which is, you know, don't make assumptions try and have a really open conversation early, even if that conversation might be quite challenging. 
Um, and I know from our previous discussion, um, Bryony had some really good examples on that as well, Bryony, didn't you? I think around um, just trying to have that communication happening as soon as possible. Absolutely. And I think that just to sort of start with, with where I come from, um, the years of work and emotional investment in a, in a business, which is going to be succeeded to by a family uh, or, or any sort of active wealth, it, it can't be underestimated. And I think that sometimes parents will paint a, a very positive picture of what the role is going to be like without necessarily making a, a, a true connection on a sort of on a level playing field, as it were, because you have that parent child dynamic. Um, one of the families I've been working for, probably the family I've been working for with, with the longest, um, they started their journey in a very organised way uh, with, a, with a proper consultant who was there for the entire family and was thinking not only about the children, but also, also the, the, the principals who'd founded the business. Um, and he was absolutely incredible. That man was absolutely inspired in the way that he set up how this was going to work. And then it was sort of when he retired about four years in, we started 15 years ago, it was kind of over to me to a certain extent, but it was also very much over to the family. And I think the thing that they have found them, they've been extremely successful at the handover. It's taken 15 years. We've only just got to the point where one of the principals, their husband and wife, has actually retired as a director. The other is still a director, but is, is, is a real sort of figurehead rather than active in the business. And, and the children are very, very active in the business now. But that was, that was the most enormous um, emotional wrench. And that parent did it overnight after a family dinner about three months ago, completely, as it turns out to everybody else, out of the blue. And that could have been so much better managed. And we're all now turning to that parent and going, God, we really need to support them. But actually mm -hmm. the warning signs, I think were probably already there. Um, that it was going to be as much of a struggle for them as it was for the children to step into what were very, very big shoes. Um, uh, uh, you know, the ex-CEO of, of the business, your, your parent, your loving parent, your much loved parent. And actually that was a real lesson to me. And, and I've learned lessons all the time as we go along. And I think there are examples where it's done beautifully, but there are far more examples where it's actually quite traumatic even if it's a short, sharp shock, it's still that trauma. And, and, and maybe sometimes you need to rip off the plaster, but mm. knowing you're going to rip off the plaster is the most important thing. Doing it in a sort of way that people aren't expecting, I think, can be quite painful. I think it's worth just chatting a little bit about, uh, about that idea of trauma. I think that's a, it's a good word to bring up. Um, and um, I think it sort of cuts this issue uh, that uh, it doesn't really matter what you think about this and so you can think it's going to be fine but it's not really about that um it's about how it feels um and you can't really know how it feels until you're in the midst of it or doing it and so you know it's quite difficult to properly anticipate what it's going to be like for you and i think this causes quite a few problems and i, I quite like this idea of uh, thinking about it from from just just for the moment and we obviously want to turn it into like the positive part of the conversation but just starting with this idea of the wrench um i think that's really real um so one way of thinking about it is um from a from a sort of neuroscience perspective is um you spent 30 40 years doing something um so your nervous system is finely tuned uh, your habits are finely tuned uh, your daily rhythms are finely tuned and it's shaped inside you um and just to stop to stop doing that 
your body suddenly has all of this active nervous system that has regularly done this every day for 40 years you know and suddenly it's not got it's not got the counterpoint it's not got the stimulation and so that you know sometimes you say it feels like a void it's actually genuinely represented as a void inside you because your nerves that have been fine-tuned to doing that for 40 years are no longer having the stimulation and i think that's maybe just a way in is similar to something like a grief experience, you know, or a loss of some sort. Um, does that make sense to you too? Yeah, I, I, I reckon, I think it's a great analogy to cycle grief, actually, that, that there's a certain piece at the beginning where you kind of, you're almost denying that it's going to happen. You, you know, you can't quite believe it. And then gradually you come to, to a phase of sort of accept, acceptance I guess one of the points that, that, you know, I'd be interested in Brownie's view on this as well is, you know, we talk a lot about helping the founder and supporting the founder. It's really good to think about, you know, what they might do going forward. But I think there's also some accountability on the founder. You know, the, the founder, um, in my experience, the ones who have been the most successful have actually spent some time building their own self-awareness around what they would like to do, what they see as the, their strengths, developments, opportunities. So really going through a bit of a bit of a self-challenge process as well. And it, I think what was really interesting in your poll, Nick, was that you know, you've got probably 37, 38% of, of our audience today saying they're actually helping someone else go through this. So they're they're performing that kind of third party, that third party role and Brian, I, I guess in your experience, I mean, what works best actually when you're performing that third party role? So I suppose being um, clear that that as an advisor, which is always where I'm coming from, although I am a trustee for some of these too, as an advisor, thoughtfully introducing into the conversation that that the founder can talk offline, confidentially, you know, this doesn't need to all be about the legals. Please don't think I'm just here to talk to you about tax. You know, I'm here to talk to you about everything in the round and your experience of it. And I think the most successful um, people that I'm dealing with who are passing over wealth have heard that and they do it and they ring me and they text me and they say, can we just have a quick word? And we have half an hour. And they sense check and they don't just sense check with me, they sense check with other advisors and other close family friends or trustees as well. I think you can over sort of consult in a sense, you're absolutely right, developing your own self-awareness is about self-reflection, it's about thinking about how you feel, how it's gonna impact you as an individual. And I think there's a virtuous circle that, that the most successful uh, people will create, which will then make life e easier for everybody else because they've made it easier for themselves. And I think that so many people look up to a principal, a head of a family, whatever you want to call them. So many people look up to them. They need to remember that they're on a pedestal. If they want to get off the pedestal, they've got to join the crowd. So they've got to work with the crowd. And then somebody else is going to, or maybe another group is going to go up onto the pedestal. And of course, we see that a lot more now. We see less single leaders. But my experience is that having those, having that self-awareness, and then, as you say, having other things to do, mm. practical other things to do, so your adrenaline levels drop, they don't fall to the floor, 
is absolutely integral to, to how they do it. And charity work, other businesses, angel investing, grandchildren, golf, you know, sailing, whatever it is, finding those things and really making that your job in a sense means that it's not quite such a, a plunge. Um, but I mean, Tom, you spoke very eloquently when we when we were talking about this before about your own journey. Mm. Presumably you can now talk to clients about your own journey and that, and that humanizes the journey for them. I'm not quite there. I'm probably a decade or so out, but you know, it's um, that must be a great opportunity for you. Well, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great point, Brian. And um, I know when we spoke before, we talked about the power of disclosure, you know, you know, your ability as a, as an advisor to share something of yourself which hopefully resonates with with the client, and certainly, you know, my my current experience. You know, I talk about how I'm feeling and how I'm trying to analyze what's going on in my brain, but also in my, frankly, in my heart, in terms of the emotions attached to leaving KPMG. You know, and um, I, I I actually, and this is just a little tool that that I sometimes use with clients, and it's. You you might be familiar with it, Brownie, with the the kind of psychology aspect of this. But I did a I did a counselling course in KPMG about four or five years ago, and one of the tools that they taught us was this this mechanism called a lifeline. And you, and you literally get a sheet of paper and you plot your life, um, you draw a line and you and you you you, you note the parts of your life where they were the biggest life changing experiences for you, and you reflect on why those things you know, really impacted you. So you end up with little kind of spikes and sometimes troughs actually. And I, I sometimes use that with clients and say, have you, have you ever actually sat down and, and done that? You know, because actually when you, once you've drawn it and you stand back from it um, and reflect on it, it really brings home, I think, what's important to you, what has really shaped you over the last you know, 30, 40 years. And uh, it's quite a useful mechanism for then thinking about, well, here's why those things were important to me then. So let's think about how I might replicate that importance going forward, but by doing something different. Does, it, does, that, does that sort of make sense? It does. It makes, it makes complete of, sense. Yeah, patterns um, of behaviour, really, really important. I mean, Nick, you're the tool king. I think tools are <laughs> critical to all of this. They don't need to be very complicated tools, but being able to visually just demonstrate things to clients. I'm constantly, if anyone sits in a room with me, I'm scribbling on a piece of paper. So what about this, this, and this? And making sense of things. But you're a bit no. more academic about it. Yeah, can I ask, so can I ask you about the question? So here I think, you know, the two of you talking really eloquently that you need to make a, like the person who's retiring needs to uh, own this. Mm. So that's that's obviously right. Okay, so it's obviously right, and um, in a way, I don't want to say that you know people struggle with that. Um, I I'd like to kind of introduce this idea of messiness here. So uh, it's not a, like a, a an evenly split world between those people who on retirement realise that they're retiring and own it for, perfectly, and then other people who don't think about it and not conscious of it. That's like a uh, a, a sort of an untrue version of the world. I think everyone everyone who's going through this knows what's going on. Mm. Um, everyone feels it. Everyone's going through their own journey. But life is messy. Um, so so um, we're talking a little bit here about how uh, we can help uncover or provide resource to the person that's feeling that mess and help them. You know, your beautiful example, Tom, of the, the lifeline 
it's a kind of like a simple visual way of tidying tidying it up by putting mm. it online, right? So it's yeah. like visually kind of tidy it and sort it. So it's a beautiful, beautiful idea, lovely tool. Um, but I guess, um, you know, the lived experience of this is people are messy. So uh, on one stage, they might seem fine. Uh, and then, you know, a few months later, suddenly everything that you thought was settled and fine is not fine anymore. Yeah. How do, how do you uh, relate to um, the next generation, you know, help, you know, taking, taking it on? And then they've got their father or their mother there. And there's this messiness. You know, what, how, 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 what's your experience of helping them? you know, support that or understand that, not themselves get annoyed by that or find it frustrating or, you know, get lost in the relationship while this is going on. What's, what's your, what are your tips? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I kick off. And for me, it's, um, it's sitting with them on a, uh, and I do really like the one-to-one basis, you know, and then coming back together as a group and saying, well, look, here's where it feels you guys are aligned and here, here's where the gaps are. Let's talk about how we can help plug the gaps. Um, but it is a, for me, it's about focus, you know, to your point about messiness. How, how, how can we as advisors help them bring some order to all of the things that are, you know, buzzing around, uh, not, not, not just from, if you like, the operational challenges that they've got, because there are people who can help them with that, but the emotional um, and and mental challenges, I suppose, that are happening happening as they go through that transition, um, and it's about listening really actively. I think um, language, I think, is really important. You know, once you get into a good discussion and you're listening keenly as to the type of language people use, it's a great clue into what they're actually thinking and feeling. So, so for me, it's it's. Um, it's really, it, it does feel more like counselling and therapy than it does advising. You know, when, mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's at its best, that's what it feels like. I don't know, Brian, if that's your experience as well. I think that's right. And I always, I always keep myself very grounded when I'm having those conversations in the fact that I am there just to advise and facilitate. But you do get drawn into some very intimate information from all sides often. And just, I call it diplomatic honesty, is that you you do pull your punches. It's not your job to not pull the punches. It's your job to be diplomatic and careful and thoughtful. Um, and having some sort of awareness of how therapy works, having a structure to a therapeutic conversation is really important as well. It's not just a sort of free for all. Um, and so you go back to your old tools of an agenda, etc. You just have to memorise it and not give it to them on a piece of paper that looks all formal. And here we are, at, you know, so and so offices, and just making sure you keep things on track. And I suppose it's that facilitation, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think it, I think it is. So that. I think Nick's trying to. Oh, sorry, Nick. What about the next generation? Um, have I dropped out? No, I can Let's hear say you. Say the question again. Yeah, just for the next generation. So for for the for the sons and daughters uh, that are um, helping, rather than from the advisor's perspective, you know, what have you seen that's good? What have you seen that works from the next gen? What can they What can they do? I think if they develop good listening skills, that's a huge bonus. Mm. And families are quite rough and tumble. And if you can slightly f- take them away from the kitchen table. And say yeah. this is a serious discussion about serious things, and they have had good 
they have developed good listening skills. That's the most helpful way to be. And then you need the, the older generation to be as honest as they feel they can be, whilst it's that whole respect and open communication, again, whilst being honest in a diplomatic way. And there are all types of honesty, and some can be quite cruel. And I think you almost have to be at the kindest part of the spectrum, I would say, on all fronts. And that's the, that's the youngsters as well, and not make assumptions. Tom. That's lovely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, and I think for me, the other thing that I, the other thing that I discovered when I went through a bit of a, a tough time, maybe 20 years or so ago, um, was, was the awareness that actually um, I didn't have a very wide support network. Um, I, I thought I was popular, if that's the right word. Um, and I had lots of mates, I suppose. But but when I actually sat down and realised that I, I literally had one or two people that I could have a proper conversation with, that seemed a really small number. And I was given I was given advice at the time, you know, th this you may have other times in your life when when you're being challenged. Make sure that the next time you've actually built you know a, a slightly broader support network. So what I what what I often say to the next gen is, just challenge yourself around your own networks have you got a small community of people outside of the family that you really can have a proper conversation with and you can learn from them and they can learn from you because it's incredibly valuable and i think a bit like your um cycle of grief um nick the other thing i say is um you know in the same way that in the same way that grief isn't linear you know mm that cycle you go back and forth along that you don't get to the end and think oh thank goodness that's all over it's okay to feel like you're feeling the same things again that you thought you had dealt with previously because sometimes it works like that um and just uh, i think just sharing some some insights around that um i think is helpful for that next gen group to feel like they are i guess taking a little bit of control over the situation themselves and not being at the whim of, of of anything that just happened, you know? I think that's really beautifully put. So I've got some great ideas there. So, you know, firstly about treating these conversations as serious conversations. And I love your point, Brian, about families can be very rough and tumble. Um, that just absolutely speaks to sort of family dynamic, family business dynamic. The, it's very organic, it's very natural. You sometimes hear non-family business leaders saying, it's hard for me to tune into how they talk because they just talk like they talk around the dinner table around the kitchen and uh, you know it's not quite such a formal language so it's just a beautiful phrase the rough and tumble so making a space to take to, to take these difficult conversations and agreeing that you're in your relationship that you will do that and you'll talk it out and then you know tom your beautiful idea about you know just picking up on my messiness point that it's actually okay you know to re-experience things you thought you had gone i think sometimes when that happens my experience is that the next generation can feel like all the progress they felt they made has been wiped away because yeah. they thought it been they thought it was done and it was closed and then suddenly six months later the same issue is coming back up and with quite a lot of feeling um and you know i think you know normalizing that is actually quite a good thing to say that's normal um and it just you just have to give it that time so i think this is really good stuff um maybe we could just you know towards the um end of our discussion talk about um it from a more positive and and generational generative point of view 
So, um, you know, we talked about uh, the, 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 you know, experiencing the shock of the change at the moment of doing it. And no, no, no matter how much you think about it, actually the heartfelt experience is the thing um, and how deep it is within us um, and how important it is for the person who's retiring to own it uh, and to own what they're going through um, and how some of the next generation can open up to that and create conversational space for that and try and understand that the person that's retiring doesn't know what they're doing. Um, you know, um, but you know, once you get that acceptance and you start to sort of tune into this is what it might feel like, and uh, this kind of void idea earlier on in the conversation, we're talking about filling life up. So, you know, what is the joy? You know, what is the possibility? You know, what is the what is available to someone who's got 30, 40 years of deep um business experience? Um, you know, give me some examples of clients that have done this well, have found you know, really tuned into this this next phase of life properly and seen it as a good thing. Have you got examples? I, I, I've got one in particular, and, and, and one of the points that I meant to make earlier that, that I haven't made, but I'll make it now, is, is I, I don't think we should underestimate the impact of the pandemic on people. Mm. Um, because one of the things that happened in the pandemic was it was an accelerator for people thinking about their own purpose, you know, um, and... In particular, I think I've seen many founders who thought they would carry on a bit longer actually thinking, gosh, you know, mortality is a real thing. Maybe now I need to think about handing over a bit earlier. Um, and the most successful ones, I think, have really applied themselves to that process yeah. and thought about the next phase. And I know it sounds a bit corny, but but really as the next chapter and that, that next chapter, and I think Brownie alluded to, to it earlier, but that next chapter is going to be um, a real mix of things. So, so let, let's have a portfolio approach to life in my next chapter as opposed to just one single thing that I'm going to focus on, namely the business. And, and the best ones have worked out, you know, that they still want to be able to help the business in some capacity, but that, that needs to be limited by time. They want to be able to have some family time. They want to have some social time. And maybe they want to start doing something new that they've never had the time to do, but have always wanted to do. And, and if you approach it with that kind of, gosh, this could be really exciting, actually, and I'm healthy mm -hmm. enough to enjoy it, then, it, you know, the mindset shift becomes quite pronounced, I think. Yeah, amazing. Brownie. So an amazing example I have is of a family where, Sadly, the principal died last year, but he had made it his, I suppose, he treated his family, like his grandchildren, as if they were the most precious thing in the world. And so he had a great love of fishing. He would take his grandsons and his granddaughters fishing. When one of them was really not doing very well at school, having struggling after parents got divorced, the kid moved in with him for six weeks with a tutor, really pulled his socks up spent a lot of time in a very loving household that was not his own household, which was loving, but you know, a little bit less happy at the time. Um, he really threw himself into sharing his life with his grandchildren, which I thought was very, very inspiring. And I think is going to the pandemic point, family has come to the fore so much because people missed each other so much. They now realise the time they may have lost, particularly with two generations down, sometimes three. And so I think that sense of portfolio is very important, but also that sense of family for family's sake 
mm-hmm. has, I think, been more highlighted for a lot of our um, older generation. And I think it should inspire their kids to do the same, if you see what I mean. It's, it's a, again, it's creating a sort of a virtuous circle of behaviour that is very positive. I think there's also the danger, and I have seen a couple of people who've retired along the way become quite unwell when they've retired. I think that can be quite a tough thing. And so making the most, retiring a little bit early, you know, making the most of everything, retiring gradually when you're in your 50s or 60s rather than waiting until you're in your 70s, all of those things I think are a real positive change mm. that you're not going to hang on till you're 85. You know, so yeah. that's, that's a really positive way of doing it. Really good ideas. So, so um, thank you very much. Uh, some wonderful contributions. Just to wrap up, just a couple of minutes, I want to just talk, touch on one final question. So um, we talked a little bit about how hard it is and then uh, ways that the person themselves uh, can get uh, support, can start to think about it, can start to open this up. And then just towards the end here about, you know, good, good approaches to sort of really engaging with this next phase of life. Uh, to fill up, to fill up. And, you know, I, I just want to say here that the idea of letting go is um, a little bit of a, a cliche in this debate. It's more to do with transforming um, into the next phase and, um, you know, changing your relationship to things. And uh, so, you know, I kind of get the language of letting go. Um, but, you know, that, that again, for me, that's not really that, that realistic a thing. You're always going to feel that attachment, that connection, um, you know that sense of who you were, and you know, we don't sort of walk away from identities. Uh, we we keep them and carry them with us, right? So, but this transforming idea is quite nice. Um, but sometimes people just don't get there. So um, I wonder, just from the point of view of the the new CEO, yeah, where dad or mom is um, not managed to make the transition and is not owning it um, perhaps as much uh, as you'd hope they would, and is um, you know maybe re-experiencing. Um, you know the the difficulty, and uh, it's let's say let's say it can sometimes then become a barrier between you as um, parents and child, because uh, you've got to try and get on and run the business. Um, you kind of want to, you know, get on with your life. Um, you know, make make a boundary or make a barrier, and that can be a that can be a block in your relationship. So do you guys have experience with this? I think it's quite a common thing. And you know, how how do you how do you make sure that you maintain the richness of your parent-child relationship if this is still a problem? So yeah, I think I, having I, sorry, um, no, so I think having a, having a sort of binary approach to it, it's you and me, is the dangerous place to be in a sense. And facilitated conversations is I you know. In whatever way, whether it's another family member, an advisor, a friend, a say a trustee, whatever, trying to have facilitated conversations, I think, is 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 much the best way to break that sort of deadlock, for sure. And it's not pitched for services; it's just it's just that's just the reality of it. Um, and I always say about anything complicated, even when I'm drafting wills for clients, this is not about the mechanism; it's about the people. And if you get the people right, the mechanism will work. We'll make it work. You know the law is flexible, you know, etc. So I do think it's about widening the conversation um, and finding the right people and, and having false starts if needs be. Wonderful Tom, point. Yeah. yeah, Tom, what's your thought on this? Um, well, I, you know, I one of the things I learned as I got a bit older was um, the power of compassion. You know that compassion is incredibly important in this, and 
you know, if, if you're that young CEO and you're feeling, you know, aggravated by the way in which, you know, your father's behaving or whatever, um, it's, I think it's important to be compassionate about that and to recognise that it's difficult for him, it's difficult for you, um, but but actually maybe accepting that difficulty and saying, um, let me think about this, not so much as a succession, but as a transition and allow him to be involved a little bit for a bit longer and gradually, if you like, things things will change because you're being more accepting of the situation. I think your natural default is to fight against it. And, and I think all that does is make it worse, frankly. And so compassion for me is is probably the, the biggest differentiator in those situations. That's a beautiful point. Um, and maybe just wrap it up by saying, therefore, you can kind of see that there's no one way through these transitions everyone will find their own path and love your point about um compassion um and just maybe um make it reflexive and say compassion for self as well because there's a huge degree of patience needed here and you have to kind of acknowledge that sometimes you might feel a little impatient about it but actually just you know to your point you need to just accept the world the way it is um and find compassion for the situation Right. That's a, it's, a, it's a lovely point, Tom. Thank you both very much for a beautiful conversation. So next time, uh, 27th of July, um, uh, Minter Dahl comes back. So Minter, um, you can see a bit of his um, bio here. Um, it's been an amazing kind of brand leader, uh, CEO out in the world. He's kind of um, very, very interesting, wide ranging thinker and speaker. Um, and Minter is joining me for the next Strategy Cafe for a complete change of time. We're going to be talking about how we make AI and empathy come alive. So really this is speaking to customer service and actually also to therapy and kind of all sorts of human dimensions. But this idea of empathic AI or, or you know, what's the quality of empathy that we really need. So it should be super interesting with real tangible examples about how the technology is, is moving along. So if you're interested in just that kind of more wide ranging discussion about stuff that's happening for us all right now, then sign up for the next Strategy Cafe and um, you can speak to Minter yourself and listen to me interview him on this fabulous topic. Just a reminder that, uh, you know, we also offer out there for everyone uh, leadership development programs, um, particularly pertinent to this one is leading yourself. We've been talking about that in a way throughout the discussion today. Um, Tom's beautiful example of the lifeline is one of the programs we have on our leading yourself course, interestingly, um, and is a beautiful tool absolutely beautiful tool really simple uh, so if you're interested in finding out a bit more about that just come and check out our website you can find a page you can register to get a call and just you know chat about us uh, about how all this works with us um and uh that's it so um thank you very much for listening